Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I am Simone de Rochefort, joined as always by Christina Warren, Senior Tech Correspondent at Mashable.com, and Brianna Wu, Head of Development at Giant Space Cat. Why did I do it again? Welcome, ladies. Because you make it weird, Simone. <laughs> I just like lost weird. control of my mouth. Oh my god. It's been a long week. <laughs> we are four seconds it, it, into the podcast and you're already screaming. I know. Is that a record? Love you it's so definitely much. not a <laughs> Right. It shouldn't be. It's not. It's not. There have definitely been weirder moments earlier in the pod, but this this comes uh th- this is in contention, you know, sixty two episodes in, come on. Oh. It's a beautiful so, thing. So guys, as we're rec- so Christina, you've seen Scream, right? You've seen Scream. It's one of my favorite okay. movies of all time. Are you okay, kidding me? so do you remember in Scream where like uh, Nev Campbell like is terrified and she says, "Yeah, you know, Tori Spelling is probably yes. going to play me in the TV movie." <gasps> and then and, and, Scream and the Two sequel, comes out. And, yeah, it's starring Tori Spelling. It's yes, story- it's a great moment. Oh no! Oh god! This As is your we're life. Recording this tonight. There's a terrible reenactment of the last year and a half of my life going on the sci-fi channel <laughs> i've been dreading it all day the actress oh it's just got every possible thing about it screams like bad tv movie i need you so, to explain how know. this beautiful thing came about because yeah because all, I've seen all is we've seen is the photo cap, or yeah a this photo of, cap this of, of this, with of this woman hair. who looks vaguely like you she's got your <laughs> yes. hair yes we we could be twins we could be mistaken on the street for each other <laughs> so yeah i should tell you i say no to a lot of horrible projects and yet like, not I've enough said, <laughs> <laughs> for example so here at south by southwest i've said no Sorry. to three different reality tv shows they've invited me on and i looked at it and i'm like nope this will be the end of my career i can't do this and so sci-fi calls me up and they don't really tell me the name of the show or anything about it and like so they're like well we want to like bring you down to interview you and and tell the story of uh you know um of gamergate and um so, you know, I'm pretty, I wouldn't say I'm close friends with James S.A. Corey of The Expanse, but, you know, I know him a lot professionally. I'm a big fan of his work. Like, we've we've talked, you know, sometimes with his production companies about, uh, you know, like turning his, uh, you know, movies into a video game. And I'm like, well, they did pretty well with him. Maybe I could, you know, maybe this is something I'll do. And... Yeah, the money wasn't great, but I went down to the studio and I'm like, you know, usually when you show up for a studio, especially if they're like flying you to New York, like it's it's hyper, you know, like it's camera set up professional. And as I walk in the door, they are casting all the people they are going to like, like, like do as gamers as the gamers sending me death threats. And one of them is like mega hot. And I'm like. Oh, well, okay. Well, that's <laughs> like, odd. like, oh, this is this is interesting. And I knew it was probably going to be a little bit melodramatic when they're like interviewing me. And I start telling the story about Crash, who was only four, like dying in the middle of Gamergate. And like, as my dog is shivering and will be dead within 12 hours in my arms, Gamergate is like doxing my vet and threatening to show up and like yell at me in person. And I start bursting in, you know, into tears at that point. And like the camera zooms in and you can see the producers getting all excited. And I'm like, oh, no, oh, this that's is not going to be good. Awkward. So 
I don't know. It it's I the CNN reporter that's seen it. Uh, you know, she tells me it's a little melodramatic, but you know, it will get the message out there to the public about you know harassment of women online. So um, I will never watch it though. So I just was yeah. on your Twitter and saw that you had set that oh, actress's no. picture as your uh, profile picture. I did. I did. I, as, as you should. I mean, look, if somebody is going to play you in a melodramatic, it, it's a Canadian production, right? I'm assuming. No, it was in New York. The production. New York. Company, the the production was in New York. Okay. I, yeah, um, I did it in New York. Oh, yeah. Okay, interesting. Okay, so anyway, so I'm thinking if, if anybody was going to play you in like in a in an overly dramatic like TV thing, like if somebody did that for me, yes, that would be yeah. my avatar for life. Yeah, that's got to be your Twitter avatar, right? It has to. It has to. <laughs> I like personally, it's horrible. But I think yeah. we need. I need to write a romance novel about someone who's in a documentary and then falls in love with the actor who plays them. <laughs> <laughs> because that I, I don't know talk, you mentioned super hot people I assume that you're referring to the actress who played you I don't know what me I mean, I think she's gorgeous yeah. she's more pretty than I am yeah. so I'm like yeah she's very pretty and I mean I, like, I it, it, and, and I mean yeah. why not like yeah exactly like, <laughs> romance your doppelganger my my hope before this came out was that it would follow like um, horror movie rules and I was really hoping that, like, she would be just cleavagey for no reason. <laughs> like, and, like, the worst actress on earth. And, like, oh, You were no. hoping you would get the Tory spelling treatment. Right. I hope I would get the full Tory spelling treatment. Now, looking at her, she looks like a woman that doesn't take crap. So, like, no, I'm, she I'm does. She, she certainly that, doesn't. Turns yeah. out they did a good yeah. job casting you. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. My mentions are a sewer right now. You have no idea. I'm so sorry. Delete Twitter. Aww. Delete the entire website. Yes. Yeah, just get rid of it. Let's talk about yeah. tech, Yeah, so later on, we're going to have a segment Aww. where we interview uh, Brett Gaylor, who is leading Mozilla's encryption work. Um, he's an, also an encryption advocate, and he directed the documentary Do Not Track. We'll get into that later, but first, do you want to do some Apple rumors? Woo! Apple rumors. Yay. So, Christina, you at Mashable uh, did an awesome video, basically. Did they, did they like, separate you and Lance and the other yes. fellow whose name is a we all, and, and Stan And Sam Shepard, we all recorded them separately, so we had no idea what the other one said, which was what made it hilarious that Sam and I were, like, saying On the same point. thing. So, basically, Completely. they hit you with... Well, all the Apple rumors for the event that's coming up, and you each gave your response to... No, 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 no. To... Uh, correction, it is about the iPhone 7, oh, which is oh, not what will be announced yes. on Monday. So, yeah, okay, ah. so... so Because um, there, there are two waves of Apple rumors happening right now. So there's an event happening on Monday, uh, which was when we are expected to see the iPad, the next iPad, either the Air 3 or the iPad Pro 9.7 or whatever the hell we're going to call it. But the big news will be the iPhone SE, which is the new 4-inch phone, and which will have, like, some similarities from what we understand with the iPhone 6S. Some parts will be similar to the 6, and then the screen size is the same as the 5S. But with the body styling that looks like the 6 series – I, I don't know. It's a new four inch phone. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting. We'll get into that. But what, what our video did was that there are also, at the same time that that's, um, you know, that event is about to happen, we're hearing more and more rumors about the iPhone 7, uh, you know, about the fact that they're going to be dropping the um, headphone jack, which I firmly believe because 
there's it's become one of those things where there's simply been too much information about it leaking out and it's like you know what when there's smoke there's fire i yeah, i'm not happy i, I about didn't it believe that until you explained it in the video and then i was like okay when christina puts it that way it does make right. sense Wait, you're like this these are the people right. who took away cd drives and <laughs> everything yes exactly and, and and I believe I said, and we're going to have to probably bleep what I said on our video, even though our Snapchat account let us say it, but it is a t- the typical Apple asshole move like that only Apple could do, where only Apple could like take away like a, a core port and everybody would be like mad about it, but then we'll get used to it. And frankly, we'll probably end up being like appreciative that we have all this extra space on our phones. Who knows? <laughs> um, I mean, you I know what I mean? Say, like, I've always suspected that Apple deliberately leaked that story because it seemed to hit everywhere at the same time. And I think maybe I'm just thinking into it like from a marketing perspective, but it seems like it would be a, a good thing to do. Because if yeah. you like pre-announce bad news, we do this in politics all the time. So it kind of totally. takes the you sting get out of it You get people emotionally prepared. You right. do get well, people right. thinking, which, oh, maybe which... I should invest in those Bluetooth headphones now right. since right. anything could happen. Right. Well, I mean, and I, I wrote as much um, a couple months ago when, when we started hearing kind of rumors a second time, uh, it was the third time. And I was like, okay, look, at this point, even though I'm an Apple rumor skeptic, and I am, at this point, there's too much smoke for me to be sure that there's no fire. So I'm mentally preparing myself for the fact that all of my headphones, and I have many, many headphones, mm-hmm. will need an adapter or I'll have to use them wirelessly. And, and I do, a lot of them are wireless too, with, with my next phone. Because that's just the only way I could I could deal with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the only way that I could like come to terms with the fact that like, and, and me, the person who spent three hundred dollars on a pair of rose gold beats, even though I have other pairs of beats which are the same and in some cases better, just because they were rose gold. Me, that person was like, okay, I have to come to terms with this, and what this means is that like, you know. I just have to accept it. And the sooner you start to accept it, I think you're right, Brie. It's like politics. As soon as like the idea is floated out there, you can get your rage out. And by the time the phone comes out, you're like, oh, I knew over it. it. It's right. Yeah. It's better having all that dealt with before. Because if you're dealing with all that anger when the iPhone 7 comes out, then you're dealing Mm. with the story that's like, Oh my God! This phone isn't the new hotness. Com- you know, then you're completely. dealing with. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, you, know, you still have people yeah. like one of my coworkers. He's very adamant about this. He's like, if they get rid of the headphone jack, I'm moving to Android. And and I my my response to that is is I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, I'll believe okay. it when I see it. You know what I mean? Because like, <laughs> you're not gonna change your it, entire ecosystem just because you can't use your headphones anymore. No, especially not since you know if they do get rid of the jack. You, I, a, I'm positive that they will make a lightning adapter, uh, for for three and a half millimeter for for one reason, one reason only. I mean, you know, they own Beats, and and Beats has sold millions of pairs of headphones that they're going to presumably still want people to be able to use, right? Uh, number two, most people don't even buy separate headphones; they use the headphones that come with your phone. So if you include a pair that connects to the lightning port, you just use those earpods. There will be plenty of alternatives for for people, but there will also be plenty of opportunities for or, you know, certain set of users, and, and I'm, I can be one of these users at times to, to complain and, and rail and be like, I'm never buying an Apple product again. But it's like, <laughs> you know, but, but, but people say that all the time with Apple. When they switched to the Lightning Board, I'm never buying Apple again. You know, like when they switch, you know, when they got rid of like the CD drive, I'm never buying Apple again. It's like, come on, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are. I, I have Apple. to say, like, once you've bought a pair of wireless headphones, they will become the favorite thing that you own. I love yeah. mine. I love, I love them. Mine too. Yeah. I love them too. My problem is that a lot of times I forget to charge them. Mm. And yeah. so that is the one reason I do like the Solo 2s more than my studios, even though my Beat Studios sound a lot better, the Beat Studio wirelesses, because 
I can plug the solo twos in. So when I work from my desk a lot of times, for instance, it doesn't always make sense for me during an eight hour workday to have my wireless headphones on. That said, you know, so I plug them in usually. Um, but that said, because I'm off, I'm often moving back and forth. But when I'm walking to the train, when I'm doing other things, having wireless, you're, you're dead on. It's like it's an amazing thing. Like if you're running, I have a different pair, you know, of wireless uh, headphones that, that, I, that I run with. And it's like, yeah, you're dead on. Like once you've experienced that, it's pretty awesome not to be tethered to your phone anymore. Speaking of keeping things charged, you brought up wireless charging as another possible yeah. thing for the iPhone 7. Yeah. Would that work? If, if they did release headphones with a lightning cable um, attachment, would it work to have the phone be charging wirelessly and have your headphones wired into that jack? Because, I mean, oh, that would kind yeah, of that should make cover some ground no, there. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I I don't know if you'd be able to charge your headphones or anything, but I think, what, yeah. I mean, how the wireless charging is going to work is there. It's one of two things. They're either going to use the existing Qi standard that everybody uses, that the PowerMat has and, and that, that Starbucks has adopted, that Samsung has used, that Nokia was even using, or they're going to develop their own more proprietary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they'll do a mix Ooh. of both. Um, Boy, I right. wonder if it's going to be A or B. I would bet right. every dollar it's going to be proprietary. <laughs> well, yeah. I would normally agree with you on that, Bree, mm-hmm. um, but I think it might be C, which is the combination of the two, kind of like NFC, where they technically don't support... NFC file transfer on the iPhone. Like you can't transfer files with NFC the same way you can on, on Android devices and, and on, on some other, you know, um, Tizen and, and Windows phone devices, but you can use existing NFC terminals. So I could see them doing something where they have their own um, system and maybe for quick charging, for instance, you'll need the Apple Pad or, or whatever they're going to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you did want to get maybe a slower charge, they would still have it working enough with the cheese standard so you could go into Starbucks or McDonald's and charge your phone that way. The only reason I say that, because usually I would be with you, be like, oh, they're going to definitely do their own thing, is that we have seen rollout at major places where you already have people adopting a standard. And I kind of like with NFC where, you know, Apple Pay, one of the key reasons it worked was that all these NFC terminals that had already been installed, even though many of them hadn't been turned on, you could just go ahead and use Apple Pay with it. You didn't have to, mm-hmm. you know, make sure you went to a special, you know, like it wasn't like retailers had to install or, um, you know, use a special terminal thing. They just have to, you know, sign on to support Apple Pay, but their existing point of sale uh, systems, you know, if it supports NFC, they, they can make it work. So, uh, I mean, that doesn't mean that they couldn't then go to McDonald's and, and Starbucks and be like, hey, install these pads because they'll be better for our users or whatever but i could see them having to do something standard like just because there are already other places that have been doing this (laughs) (laughs) so i want to talk about other apple rumors yeah yeah what else is on the docket for this so i have to admit i am at the point in my career where apple people will sometimes give me info about what's coming and i i know it's like that's when you know you've made it that's even better than tv thing being made about you it's like yeah it's when you start getting apple leaks nice yeah um you know, I, I've thought a lot about it. I'm not comfortable sharing it on the show, but I, I do think, um, I think I would say very generally, I feel pretty confident that we're going to get some new Macs. So, yeah. Really? I, mean, I You yeah. know, it's time. Yeah. I, I, th- yeah. I Now, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know how much of the show they'll dedicate or the, the, the announcement they'll dedicate to the Macs, but it's been, you know, the new MacBook came out a year ago. And so yeah. they need to do a refresh on that because they the really do. M- they really do because the core M has oh. progressed a lot, oh. and 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 they really need to to to, to update that. Um, and finally, you know, we have um, uh, what is it? Uh, 
what's 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 the current Intel chipset? Um, uh, Silver Lake. Skylake. Skylark. And I'm like, no, that's not right. Skylake. Yes. <laughs> Skylake finally Skylander. has Skylander. Skylander is the chipset. No, no, but no. finally has mobile. But but Skylake finally has mobile chipsets. And when no. they last updated the MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. Uh, Retina, um, they you know had to use Haswell again, and they had to release an update though, and so they had to release Haswell again, and so now that Skylake is finally having mobile chips chipsets, it would make sense at least to me from a from a cycle standpoint. Okay, now I'll go ahead and and, and refresh your, your your MacBook Pros too. It's totally. going to be wonderful. Well, I can say this: the instant that Apple puts out an upgraded, you know, MacBook One, that's going to be the day I sell this thing on Craigslist and go upgrade because it's a great machine. But uh, you know, it's like it just spools with everything you try to do. Is that so, last year's I MacBook mean, that you have, Bree? Well, it was when they came out the new MacBook. Yeah. Uh, la- was it last year? I guess it was. Yeah, it was last yeah. year. Yeah, it was yeah. last March. And I don't regret getting it at all. I mean, I think I'm at home, what, eight days this month? So, yeah. you know, I travel enough to justify it. But um, I don't know. I, w- I want to talk about iPads because there have been a yeah. lot of rumors about that. Like, what do you think? Uh, what do, What are you betting on, Christina? So I don't know what they're going to call it is my big question, but I do feel like it does make sense that it'll have Apple Pencil support. It'll have the the smart connector support, you know, for, for, for a keyboard that they'll release a smaller keyboard, kind of like, you know, the iPad Pro keyboard. And I could see them um, having 3D touch on it um, really? now that they've had enough time to put it in there. Yeah. Um, I do wonder it. I have a feeling it's one of those things where it might not have as much RAM as the iPad Pro just because of the smaller screen and the GPU might not be as advanced, but it'll be using a version of the A9X chip. Um, and so my big question is, what are they going to call it? Are they going to call it like the iPad Air 3? Are they going to call it the iPad Pro? Are they going to call it the iPad? Like, how are they going to do that? But I think it's interesting because... Um, you know, the iPad Pro, we haven't seen sales figures, but we did just see general iPad figures, and they haven't been great. And I haven't really seen a lot of iPad Pros, and it seems like it's a very specialized device. Um, and, and, and the one that I have, you know, for review purposes, I like quite a bit. But it is too big to use, at least for me in bed. It's too big for me to use day-to-day like I use my iPad Air. That's what she said. I <laughs> See? Love you, Simone. I'm sorry. But it's, it, but, no, 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 like that's perfect. But I but I was thinking about this. I was like, I think one of the big problems that we've had with iPad sales generally has been that they've almost made them too good and the apps haven't really kind of forced people to upgrade quite as much. I mean, some games obviously have kind of pushed the limits, but it's been one of those things where like a lot of people still have an iPad, you know, two or an iPad three and it still works okay. So what's gonna get you to upgrade to the new iPad? Um, the bigger screen and, uh, you know, the more expensive cost of the iPad Pro is probably not going to get a lot of people in, right? Because you're so- ta- talking $800 minimum price and, and really talking about $1,000 if, if you get the bells and whistles you need involved, mm-hmm. right? But if you're talking about something that starts at $500 and you could say, okay, it's faster, um, it has um, more powerful, you know, processor, graphics, whatever. Um, it'll support the, the pencil, which pencil, is a cool that's device. Huge. That's that, huge. That's huge. Yeah. It'll, it'll support yeah. the pencil. It'll have 3D touch maybe, or maybe it doesn't. It, maybe it has a smart connector, you know, for the keyboard. And I think that eventually they'll start doing things more than just the, the, the keyboard. I think the smart connector, I think the keyboard's just the beginning. I think that that could potentially be, like, it could be an audio interface. It could be all kinds of I.O. stuff. So I think that if you're saying, okay, We've got this thing that now starts at the price that people normally buy an iPad at that has all these updated features. That could finally be enough to get people who've had an iPad for, you know, three or four years to go, okay, yeah, I'll upgrade. Mm -hmm. I am that person. I am that target audience. My iPad, too, is 
currently You're dying using a slow an death. iPad too? Yeah, I mean, I got oh. it. Well, see, I'm the person who loves Apple stuff, but is on, I think, more of a budget than um, than someone maybe five or ten years older than me uh who is more established yeah, in their yeah, life yeah so for me yeah. it would definitely take something some additional functionality uh of the ipad because if not i'm just gonna compromise and use my phone or my macbook totally rather than splurging yeah. and I, I do i love the ipad i would love to get a new ipad but it would definitely take something special um and the keyboard is exciting to me because like i've talked about before i use my ipad a lot for writing or i did before google docs started lagging really badly um which is why i moved to my phone so Yes, having the the ability to write either you know with a keyboard and uh, or just on the the iPad itself as you do because it's I, a freaking touchscreen yeah. device. Anyway, having that would be very cool for me. And the iPad I mean, Pro is totally the, on my budget. I think the four inch iPhone is going to be really interesting when it comes out because for me, yeah. because I have an iPhone six plus. I don't use my iPad a fraction of how much I used to. Like, it's just, yeah. it's, it's, I love it. I love it. Um, I have to say, you know, I've recently taken over the iPad Pro in my house. It's like my primary iPad that I use and I'm bringing on this trip. And, and Christina, you're, you're, you're totally right that it is unusable in bed. It's uncomfortable. It's hard to type on. Um, the keyboard I don't like, but like, um, you know, the smart cover keyboard that Apple puts out that's official, it, it needs a lot more work on there with the tactile feedback of the keys, I feel. But um, I, I think that in between the pencil and I think um, with 3D Touch, I'm always mystified that that didn't make it onto the iPad Pro. So. Yeah, yeah, no, and I and I think that, I mean, honestly, from what I understand from, from at least how I've talked to, you know, from how I've understood this to be in the past, and I don't know this definitively this time, but I know this was certainly the case with Touch ID, and so I imagine it had to be the case this time, is that the... Um, the, the hardware cycles are different. They have separate teams working on the iPhone and on the iPad. So they, and they aren't necessarily aware of what the other is doing. So I think that 3d touch was one of those things where literally, you know, they developed it for the phone and it was just not able to be, you know, moved over to, to the iPad pro, which had already been in the works. Um, but because they would have maybe longer development cycle, you know, for, for the, for this smaller iPad, they would be able to bring it over because I agree with you. I think that it's, it's, it's a, it's a, huge downside that the iPad Pro didn't have 3D touch because I think that would have made it even more compelling for the professional audience they're mm -hmm. going after. And frankly, I think it would have made 3D touch more compelling for developers because we are seeing more and more developers supporting 3D touch, but it's hard to get people to buy in on the API to, to supporting the APIs when you only have it supported on two devices. But if you can say it's on a wider portfolio of devices, then that's, you know, good news. What I have to say, think? like, um, for, for, for music tracks in Rev60 PC and Rev60 Special Edition that's about to come out, I've actually spent a lot of time in GarageBand uh, yeah. you know, like making new tracks for it. It's, it's professional. It's cool. It's, um, it's great. It, it's really fun. Um, I went to Loop Masters and I got a bunch of stuff. And, yeah, I'm not going to say it's like, I, you know, like I, I took 10 years of piano, so I'm not bad. But uh, it's certainly like it sounds professional. Um, but I have to say when you work with GarageBand a lot, 
it's really frustrating. Like this is a perfect example of where yes. this would be very handy. So totally, and, and in fact, to... it is on the if you use it like on a, on an iPhone six I, or yeah. success or six plus success plus absolutely. You know, GarageBand in the loop mode especially has that three D touch support, and it's yeah. awesome. And yet you're dead right. on. Like how great would it be if you could use that on your iPad Pro? Which it would really help it. make the argument for the utility of the um you know the the iPad Pro and its its uh, existence in that space, which I don't mm. think they've totally justified yet so that, i don't know but on yo go ahead so i sorry. was just thinking about uh i know i laughed about using the ipad pro in bed but thinking about it as an ergonomic question i mean you have two options for for stuff that you're you're using in you know your casual time so you're holding your phone in your hand and your hand is very cramped in that way or you're typing on a keyboard on a laptop in bed i think if they introduced the um the pencil and then 3d touch to the ipad that would it just kind of introduces a whole ergonomic paradigm, which is really yeah. important for repetitive stress injury, repetitive use injuries for hands, which is something that I'm, I am certainly experiencing, and people in my life are experiencing just because we don't have other options um, for using technology in our lives. So yeah, that 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 is yeah. something that would be really interesting for me actually. Now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. So I, I, I completely agree with that. Um, with the, uh, with the Apple watch, you know, I know they've rumored new bands are going to come out. Yeah. Um, you know, I really think about this a lot, Christine, I would love your take. Um, I think we can all look at the Apple watch and agree in hindsight that the hardware is desperately needs upgrading. You know, the, the round trip communication between your phone and the Apple watch is just unacceptable it's sometimes laggy um it's time you know there it's time it's time to upgrade it but you know this is a device unlike the ipad where i i really question with something at like that ten thousand dollar price point you know right if it's gonna i i really wonder if like putting out the next version that's thinner sleeker you know thinner if that's going to get blowback from the public so do you think they're going to keep the apple watch lines feeling fresh with bands or do you think they're going to go full bore and like give you, you know, real hardware upgrades? I'm not expecting a hardware upgrade at all. Um, mm. Not, not this time. Yeah. Yeah. Not this time because I think for, for the, even, and even though I agree with you, just kind of like, you know, the very first iPad, which had 256 megabytes of Ram and, and desperately needed more, you know, I think you could make the same argument that, you know, the, the, the new, the Apple watch probably needed a little bit faster processor needed more Ram. And, and I think that, some of that goes back to what I've heard from people, which was that it was originally supposed to launch in the fall of, of, uh, of 2014 and was then pushed to April because of, of various, you know, delays. And, and so I think though that you're right. I think that even though they might already have in the works, you know, updated, you know, design updated, um, uh, hardware, other stuff, because it's been such a, a slower rollout for them of the product and, and yeah, they've sold, you know, uh, you know, more than a billion and a half dollars worth of Apple Watch stuff. And, and it's and it's been, you know, not an unsuccessful product. I don't want to overstate its success, but I, I you know, they seem pleased with it. Um, I certainly see more of them around. I think that because of its price point, because of the fact that, you know, your your most people who are buying it are coming in, you know, at a five hundred dollar minimum range and it can go all the way up. If you were to update it now after a year where people are and, and and frankly i think that we kind of have to start with watch os watch os 2.0 mm -hmm. kind of feels like the real beginning so september you know a lot of people get these things for christmas to then immediately have a new product 
when it costs this much and when you're not used to replacing a watch as frequently as you might replace something else, I, I do think the blowback would be huge. So I do think that honestly what I'm expecting is a lot of new bands, some new stylings, maybe some new colors. I'm also expecting a price drop. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I think if they do that, that's probably smart, and that might get more people involved. So maybe you drop your price of your sport, which you know the the the, the thirty eight millimeter starts at what three forty nine now. Maybe now it starts at two ninety nine. You know, yeah. you, you 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 lower the price. Maybe on you know for the uh, stainless steel, maybe instead start of you know starting at at five fifty, maybe it starts at at four fifty or five hundred. You know, you, you, but but you lower the price, and I think that um, that is able to kind of buy them more time. Now that doesn't mean that they couldn't still say in September when they release the new phone, release a new watch mm. too. And I think that people would be okay with that. But I get the distinct feeling with just the way they've been handling the watch and the way they've been kind of building it out. And and they've been really, um, it seems like careful about the entire approach. To me, um, it seems like it's, we're probably on an 18 month or a two year release cycle rather than a yearly upgrade cycle. Yeah, totally. Makes a lot of I, sense. I think, yeah. Um, I, I guess I would say this and we can move on, but I, I, with all the rumors about inductive charging in the, you know, iPhone seven, yeah. I think the Apple watch, I can think of no product in Apple's lineup that would benefit more. Oh God, you're dead from on. Inductive charging. Yes. I mean, imagine yes. if you're just sleeping near it at night and it will like charge it wirelessly. Like that makes it that so would you can be start genius. tracking your sleep yep. and... Oh, it'd just be awesome. So, no, you're I, dead on. I hadn't yeah. even thought of that. I think I yeah. think that you're dead on. They can perfect that. You release them together. Maybe you could even have the one pad that charges both things. Yeah. Oh. You know, which would which would be really smart. So you've got this thing, so you can have both your phone and your watch near you, and they're both charging. Because I do think that the Apple Watch charger is quite elegant, and I still think that's kind of, like they've done a really nice job with that. But I think if you made that inductive, you're dead on. Like it would make it even better just to be able to have it some, sitting someplace, and would make it really elegant, have some really interesting stands. Yeah, that's a great point. Before we move on, real quickly, what do you guys think of the four inch phone? Because I mean, it's pretty much guaranteed for getting. Oh, I am here for this. this. I am so here for this. I've always been. I kind of thought about this last week when we were talking about um waterproof phones but it's always kind of felt to me i I get worried sometimes about the the constant march forward of technology bigger phones um and things like that so it's always i've always kind of once iphone started getting bigger i was like there it goes they're never gonna go back to the nice small phone that fit in your pocket and was so comfortable to hold so it it's really reassuring to me that we can while innovating and moving forward with technology still look back at these older ideas and say that wasn't bad we can return to that anyway i'm super excited for this phone people with tiny hands deserve to have nice iphones yeah um and uh, yeah, I hope yeah they do. I my question actually to you, Christina, would be: Do you think that they're going to go with colors like the five C, or are they going to stick with what they've no. got? Um, no, I mean just I, honestly, just from the invitation alone, which had the rose gold very prominently displayed, I think it's clear they're going to go with I think the the rose gold, the the, the gold, the um, space gray, and the silver. Uh, I think I'm just happy keep about the lineup, that. You know, solid. So, and, and honestly, I think that works for their brand better too, right? Because the whole point of this phone, I think one of the problems with the five C. A, we all expected it to be cheaper and it wasn't. Mm. B, you know, the colors, as cool as they were, and it was like, oh, yeah, it's for kids. It kind of 
have cheapened the device a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think in the eyes of some people, and I think with this product, especially since it is expected to be selling for quite a bit less, you know, we're talking, you know, two hundred and fifty to three hundred dollars less. Um, it, 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 it's actually, reports vary, and some would say between one hundred fifty and three hundred. But but regardless, it's going to be cheaper than the than the six S and six S plus. If you can still make it look quality and still have those colors and still make it seem like it's a um you know a, a first rate product maybe it doesn't have yeah. 3d touch but it has everything else you know it has live photos it's going to have a better a good camera it's going to be running you know latest processor and all that stuff um i think that it makes it a lot easier for people to kind of want to buy into it especially since i to me i feel like and i'd love your take on this brie but i feel like the market for the phone i think there are two markets one i think there are people like you simone who l- genuinely like the smaller device i also feel like there's a market for people in the United States where basically we are we've been at smartphone penetration for a long time and people are replacing phones and you have people who have a 5 or a 5s who are wanting to get a new phone but now that um, phone subsidies are kind of going away maybe don't want to spend as much money Mm -hmm. maybe they still like their smaller phone and would be okay with spending a couple hundred dollars less to get a phone that still is that's got the newest features but a smaller. And then I think the secondary market is emerging markets, you know, like, like India and, and Latin America, where Apple doesn't have as, as strong of a foothold. You know, I don't think that China, for instance, is going to care about this phone because they really like the big screens. But India, where Apple doesn't sell as much, but they've mentioned on, on their last couple of earnings calls is becoming of increasing importance, they need to get that price down. And I think mm-hmm. if they can sell a phone there, it's not enough for it to be like they can't sell they're going against these super cheap phones you know that the Xiaomi's of the world that that still look great so they can't still sell their product at a premium because it will still be more expensive yeah than they a can't Xiaomi. make it look like it's a concession precisely well I mean Simone I'd love to ask you I mean for me the one reason I like the iPhone 6 plus like let me tell you a story when the iPhone 6 came out I ordered the smaller size and I held it in my hand and I was so pissed off trying to send a tweet because I couldn't reach my finger up there to hit the send button that after like three days with that, I said, screw this and just gave it to my husband. And I said, I will keep rocking the iPhone 5S. This is horrible to use. I went and got the 6 Plus because if I was making the concession to have to use a phone with both hands then the bigger screen like justified it, right? Like if I had to hold it with both hands to use it. So, I mean, Simone, you write a lot professionally on iOS devices. So if you're saying you prefer that smaller screen, that's why I find very interesting because it's, if I'm typing, like I send text all damn day. Um, I send it in Slack. I send it in you know, I send tweets, I talk to my team, I send emails, like I go through my battery at least twice a day. Why would you be interested in the smaller phone? Because that seems like your use case, like even more. I've always texted with two hands, even when I use the 5C. um, And I still do with my 6S. My phone is actually not on me right now. I'm trying to explain how what I do. I actually I don't know why I do this. I type with my index finger. And I hold the phone oh. with my right hand. Um, anyway, so I might not be the best use case after all. But no, that that has never really been an issue for me. And then typing on a smaller screen was also not an issue for me. I found it very easy. Um, so ye- what was the question again? <laughs> I don't know. It's just hard for me. It's, it's hard for me. I mean, and maybe you're the same, Christina. But like, I can't type well 
on an iPhone, a four-inch iPhone, unless it's held sideways. I just mm. don't. Oh find God, I can't type on so. anything sideways. No. Really? Yeah, I. I, I can type on them sideways. I, you know, I was just completely fine with the iPhone 5S. I was fine typing on it. And it took me some time to get used to the iPhone 6 and then the 6S because I have small hands. Um, mm-hmm. And I do find that I have to use the phone mostly two-handed. You know, I can't do that one-handed stuff quite the way I could before. But I got used to typing on the bigger screen. I just got used to it. So now to yeah. go back to the smaller phone, I do think oh, it would be terrible. harder because I just think that it's what I've been using for the last yeah. year and a half. I think what we're um, kind of striking on here is that there are a lot of different use cases and now yeah. uh, with this there would be you know one more phone to fit a user profile i guess um and you're yeah. obviously yeah. a bigger phone person and then i'm a whatever person i have <laughs> i just found this i just learned this the freaking double tapping on the home button to pull the screen halfway down thing do you use that yeah. christina i do it's it took so long to figure out what the heck that was reachability doing. is great reachability Thank and, you. And, and that's Android and that's really useful. desperately needs that. Too. Yeah, no kidding. Oh my god, I can't so believe they don't have it. The Nexus. Yeah, yeah. Well, Apple so, some of some of the so skins have it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Apple has, yeah. and and, and it, they, they steal from each other. But yeah, they should totally yeah. take reachability. No, I yeah. felt like and such a poser when, when I, I used... found it. Cause it. It just started. I just started being able to do it, and I was like, "What? Why the heck is my phone dropping? Like, why is the screen <laughs> dropping? What am I supposed to do with this other part? Is this multitasking? I felt so stupid. I still feel so stupid." I had to Google it. Anyway, that's why I'm a fake Apple fan this week. Go no, on. I'm not a fake Apple <laughs> fan. No. I will say I I use reachability on my six, but whenever I use a six uh, plus or six S plus, like I I have to use it all the time because that phone is just stupid for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. You you learn this you learn this kung fu of using it with one hand, like because. I, I run for an hour a day, and I've mastered the art of typing emails while I'm running at seven miles an hour. It's a really impressive nice. skill, I think. And, and you use your like, thumbs you do that with one hand. I do. Okay. I do it with one hand while I uh, I type. So I t- I've texted you guys a lot doing that, actually. Nice. So, Good to know. The yeah, only time I yeah. do that is when I am definitely not driving. I do not <laughs> text with my thumbs sometimes good. at stoplights That's ever. That's good. Not once in my life. Before we go into our next topic, I'm going to tell everyone that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Casper, the online retailer of premium mattresses. Yay, Casper. I was so excited to have them back. Um, I unfortunately will not be able to avail myself of Casper because I, my, I, the, room, the person who is moving out of my roommate's apartment um, sold me her mattress. But I, I might. I might. We'll see. We'll see. I'm. I'm. I really. I really want to get a Casper mattress because you can order them online, which takes a buttload of pain out of the process of finding a mattress. So you order it online. It comes to your house and it's vacuum packed. So you just boof unpack it it explodes in front of your eyes and you have a beautiful mattress that you can lie on and you can lie on it for 100 days and at that point you can decide to keep it forever and ever or you can decide to exchange it for another casper mattress try something else out see how it fits you that's the awesome thing about buying a mattress from casper they make it super easy and risk-free to find a cozy mattress that you will just want to bond with on a molecular level for the rest of your existence. Uh, and the mattresses are super affordable. So you can get a twin for $500, uh, $750 for a full-size mattress, $850 for a queen, $950 for a king. And they're all made in America. Um, and America is great. So you should support American businesses and get Casper mattresses. Um, yeah, so I 
I frankly, I really enjoy what they're doing here, their business model. It speaks to me of making my life perfectly simple and wonderful and giving people comfy mattresses to sleep on. So please do go check them out. Do you have something to say, Brianna Wu? So if you're listening to this show, please visit Casper. uh, Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash rocket and use that offer code rocket, which I have provided to you with my mouth just now. Um, Check them out. They have really beautiful models as well. So if you go to the site for no other reason, go to look at their beautiful advertisements um, and then use offer code rocket to get a bed. Thank you, Casper, for supporting this episode of Rocket and Relay FM. So should we move on to PlayStation VR? Oh my god, let's do it's it. It's time. Yes. This is a long episode. Hey! It's a good episode. Yeah. <laughs> they just announced this week that uh, PlayStation VR is coming in October, and the price is a beautiful $399 with some caveats, Damn. which we'll get into. Um, that flat price aside, yeah, that is the cheapest of the, I think, like full VR headsets that are coming out this year. Yeah. But uh, the Move controllers are not bundled with that. Or you will be able to get a bundle. The Move controllers don't come with it. And uh, there's also a camera, the PlayStation camera that you will need, which is like $60. So that altogether bumps the price up. But flat price for the headset itself, a lot less than the Oculus, which is 599 and then 600 yeah yeah and then the vive and then the vive is, is 800 800 oh yeah 799 800 i can count so yeah I yeah guess, so and, and and then those both need you know like a thousand dollar pc yeah so i think um, in the long run it is definitely cheaper i think the question is do, will it offer the same quality as the vive um i, I pick out the vive especially because i've heard so many good things about it um and i've definitely heard good things about playstation vr too but I'm wondering why the price is so much less. Is it a question of um, efficiency in sourcing the the materials, or is it a question, or is it just Sony's power behind it? It's, it's cheaper parts. I mean, yeah. it's obviously cheaper parts. Um, but My, I mean, Simo, yeah. this is your week. Like you've shot so many videos about VR with Ben Kacharik. I've edited that. Was it yours of him like leaning on a desk? It wasn't there. Like that was in my email. Um, I mean, what do you think about this? Yeah. What do you think about this? Well, I am super excited for PlayStation VR, not just because, well, actually, no, you know what? I am excited for it because I obviously, I have a PlayStation 4. So for me, Uh uh, VR was always going to be somewhat inaccessible just because I I'm not going to get a big gaming rig PC. That's just not something I'm going to spend money on when there are other things that I prefer to game on. I'm, you know, I like having a controller. So for me, the idea of having um, a VR headset that could work with my existing console is wonderful. And then also what I've seen of the social aspects of PlayStation VR really attractive to me. So it has basically um, a second screen functionality where it takes your right optical feed and it can play that on the television um, while you're in the headset. So other people aren't, you know, locked off from what you're experiencing. They can see it. Uh, they can hear it as well. And um, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, they've talked about having second screen functionality built into games so people can can play together. And that is, as you know, what I am all about. So this, to me, that that makes PlayStation VR more attractive to me than the other options, both in terms of the technology that it uses and in price and in the fact that um, it could be a more social experience just kind of out of the box. 
Sure. Um, and I, I think I think all that's really legitimate. And I think you can't overestimate how important the price point is going to be. Um, I have to say, though, the, the hardware is a lot lower. I mean, if you look at I the I wanted parts, to ask know, you about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'm going to wait to experience okay. it myself. But, um, you know, like I, from what I hear from people, I, I want to talk about what I think is a really big threat to this experience. Um, so, you know, some of when the Xbox One came out last year, along with the PlayStation 4, I really think the first year where we kept splitting the difference between the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 3 uh, with our games like Sleeping Dogs, Far Cry 4, you know, game after game after game, they didn't want to support both consoles like Mm -hmm. with exclusive releases. So we just kept going, oh, I'll just throw a little bit prettier graphics at the PlayStation 4. So because the games are so expensive to develop, that trend and conservative approach to development is going to be extremely exacerbated with the uh, PlayStation VR. So when I was at Oculus OC2, I did sit down and play a bunch of games that like traditional games that they'd wired into an Oculus. And it was an experience that made me want to throw up everywhere like a freaking <laughs> Exorcist movie. Because if you're not building a game with certain rules about interface, with certain rules about you moving, if you're not thinking through the nausea problem in part of your gameplay and you just kind of like tap it on as an extra to kind of get this other marketing thing as a selling point the way they did with like attaching connect support to Tomb Raider <laughs> on the Xbox One where you're trying to like wave your arms in the air for Lars QTEs and it was crap. Um, you know, that's going to be a really bad experience. So yeah, I, I 100% I, agree yeah. with that, especially because they part okay. of the announcement was that they said what there'll be 50 games available for it between launch and December and I'm like those are gonna be I mean one of them is Star Wars Battlefront they're not creating Star Wars Battlefront from the ground up for PlayStation no that's not happening it's going to be like you said kind of adaptations or in I'm actually confused about that because I know there there's a cinematic mode but it made it sound like Every game would be available in cinematic mode, which is where you're basically just in a VR theater. You know, you're isolated and playing the game. Uh, it made it sound separate from that. Um, so I, I need to look into that. But yeah, I, I do think that there's going to be a period where we're going to get a lot of crap. And I hope, I hope that they can make it attractive enough for developers that we can get some really interesting native VR games. Because I think that's the only way that VR is going to continue right. to be or begin to be really successful and interesting is you know, yes. having native games or apps, I agree with other you. experiences, not just games. Right. Although I think, I think more for the PlayStation, more than the other platforms, games are obviously going to be the, the primary focus, you know, that that's because that's kind of the bread and butter. I wanted to ask you guys, what do you th- I mean, cause I think you make up a great point. Like if they're native stuff is really what's going to sell this. Do you have any fears? Cause I kind of, I, I'm excited about this. And I think that the price point and the fact that you can get in for under a thousand dollars, you know, with, with this setup for, for getting a PlayStation for getting you know, the headset, even getting the move controllers and the camera, you can get in for under a thousand dollars, which is going to frankly be the, the cheapest way you can do kind of this, this, you know, non, you know, uh, galaxy, you know, uh, gear VR sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like but does the fact that, that it looks like a lot of the early software is going to be these adaptations and are not going to be the full stuff, does that have the potential to hurt VR going forward if people are buying into this and are then getting an experience that is not what they're expecting? That's a really good question. Yeah. 
I've, I don't know. I, I feel like for the gamer crowd, at least, I know the cinematic mode is going to be a draw. Um, but I, I don't, it's, it's really hard to say, I think, especially when presumably the Vive will be offering much different experiences than something right. like this. Right. But I, but I think that, you know, especially when it comes to marketing muscle, you know, Sony's going to have a lot of advantages. Sony's going to have a lot of advantages here and, and they're going to have the capability, you know, to really kind of show stuff off. Does it hurt them potentially it, to have, you know, these, yeah, they want to get as much software out there as possible because they want to claim oh, we're launching with this many titles. But if they're not doing it full bore, if they're not doing it maybe the, 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 the right way or from the ground up, does that end up hurting the, you know, kind of the ideas that people have going into this all along because I see, I mean, I, maybe not for the hardcore gamer crowd, but I guess I'm thinking more of like the more casual crowd who right. there are a lot of casual people who are now starting to adopt the PS4. It's finally coming mm-hmm. down in price, finally enough games. And we're finally at that point in the cycle where people who just want a good video game system are buying one. Right. So you get that, those people, I guess I'm concerned or maybe, maybe and maybe I shouldn't be, but I guess I feel like no, you're correctly if, concerned. You're yeah, correctly if, concerned. If, yes. if they don't do this right, they have the potential of turning off a bunch of people from VR. Grandma Absolutely. buys and the PS4. Look at Connect. Connect could have been done well. Connect is right. an idea that should have right. succeeded point, right? more than it did. And what was their problem? Like they they never got the software no down. Software, they yeah. never they cheaped on the on the 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 CPU for it, and they never managed to get a lineup of solid developers. And as a result of that, the average person went and tried to connect game, and then they were waving their arms in the air, and it wasn't really tied to anything they were doing. And they <laughs> said, F it. I mean, that's it." And you're 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 dead on, Christina. Um, it's a huge risk with this, and. You know, I really worry that because these cheaper units are going to be the thing that, you know, get people to get their first taste of it, like uh, Gear VR. I'm sorry, Gear VR is a recipe to feel <laughs> sick all day. And yes, I will probably release some software for it at some point, but it's just, it's a horrible experience. Um, and, you know, because of some of the worries I have about PlayStation VR being lower quality, I just, you know, I think part of it is because dudes are just scientifically less, um, they get nausea less than women do. And I, I really worry that they're just going to drive straight past this experience issue and it's going to tank the platform. Speaking of processing power, Brianna, what do you think of the, the little, um, God, what is it called? The separate processor that they're, the additional processor, the processor that they're bundling with it. Well, I mean, you have to have that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I, I I think it's really, it's a great solution, I think, for, we'll we'll see, I guess we'll see how the the latency issue um, ends up being at launch, but I do like it just as a solution for making it work with the existing technology. Sure. Well, look at the, look at the play, look at Connect, right? That failed because they tried to cheap out. They Mm -hmm. said, look, we're going to pass all of this through a USB port. Yeah. And, you know, it throttled it. I the I would assume the PlayStation is USB 3 on the front of it. But, um, you know, it I, it's it's still a lot smarter. You're going to have latency if it's all right there. Um, you know, I, I think Rocket is probably the only show where we can talk about this. But it does occur to me that one of the, um, you know, one of the strongest applications for VR is um, porn. <laughs> like VR porn. As we and said. And I kind of don't. <laughs> 
I don't see PlayStation partnering with uh, Naughty America <laughs> for an app like that, to let that go. So that yeah. more than anything is perhaps the nail in the coffin. Although I am, I am excited for this, as I said, but that is, I think, a good point that you raised that <laughs> well, grandma isn't going to be buying or grandma, if grandma <laughs> buys the PlayStation VR PS4 bundle for Christmas and then everyone vomits oh. all over Christmas dinner, that's going right. to be a, a bad you know, bad scenario for everyone. Um, though grandma will probably, no, grandma might, might be sad that there's no VR porn or for PlayStation VR. That, that could be a, yeah. Yeah. No, would they be able to do anything through like homebrew stuff? Like, would they be able to, is is, is there a, oh, a Sony has gotten didn't they just hack about the, the PS4? Like, wasn't that a very recent thing that somebody managed yeah, to hack the PS4? Yeah, it's a cat and mouse game. Like, they'll, yeah. I, I follow the Twitter account where they hack this, and then Sony, like, updates a patch, like, the next couple of days, and then the entire rest of the world has to, this is the reason every freaking time I turn on my Vita, I have to spend yeah, 30 right. this minutes is, It's got a download update. Yeah, well, that's right. what I'm saying. Like, like, it took them, what, three, four years to do that initial hack, so it, it would yeah. be a long time before we, we got to see porn on our on our playstation 4 VR. yeah no I and mean, that makes sense I, I, I didn't know if they had alternate distribution me- methods for for people to do stuff or not but yeah i i, I could never imagine them supporting like porn on, on that's just not gonna be that's another brand i mean it's just not i mean you know but Oculus it could be their brand be, christina uh no i mean oculus has said that you know they won't allow it in, in in the official store but obviously people can submit you know files their own ways and that sort of thing um and and steam i, I don't think they've made a comment one way or another about how that stuff will happen but um, those those platforms because their PCs will obviously have easier ways of getting software there, whereas you know PlayStation's Sony's going to be a lot more closed off about that. Mm-hmm. Frankly, though, that that mean it's a bad thing in terms of what might drive some people to adopting the technology, but it's probably a good thing getting certain types of companies and certain types of people more willing to embrace VR. Mm-hmm. For sure, it's like to me. To me, it feels like it's a double edged thing. Like on the one hand, you might like lose a little bit on the earlier adopters, like for certain people, but on the like from the larger big picture branding perspective of VR, the last thing I think anybody wants in the industry is for the only thing to be associated with it is, you know, my colleague Ray Wong <laughs> watching porn on, on a bed at, at CES. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. you know, giggling like, giggling like a maniac on the Jimmy. That's on, on all Jimmy I Fallon. think like, about ever. Brianna, I, actually, as since you're a developer, what would make PlayStation VR attractive to you, I guess, more so than Oculus or the Vive? I, it's very straightforward. Um, it's It's people with units so getting that price point down to the point where they have a a market where if i put out a game and there's a certain amount of them that will be able to play it um that's all i need to know yeah i have to say like you know playstation uh, gsx has had mixed develop mixed experiences working with sony but you know with it being x86 based i mean you know developing for playstation 4 is not that hard so you could certainly see smaller games and more art experiences coming to this so like bring me something with a lot of um people buying these units and make it a marketplace where they're willing to spend money and i'm freaking there you know yeah um yeah i mean i think especially if they can get a really good bundle price together like i imagine that the, when they release this thing they will have like a, a really attractively priced bundle like probably 700 bucks maybe even you know where you can get the the the, the playstation and move controller and and the the headset you know maybe you have to pay extra for the camera or whatever but like i can see them 
getting really aggressive on the pricing. And if I'm Steam especially, that would worry me. Because I think, you know, Oculus, obviously, they have Facebook money, right? So, like, they have more, I think, time on this. Um, HTC, it's going to be interesting because I don't know how much, you know, this is the, the, the Vive is basically their last ditch effort. So I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how many people, you know, maybe are, are, I could see this if, if this goes well. And I think again, like you guys are saying, it totally does depend on the software, but this has the potential to, to push PlayStation units too, because I do think that one of the, a lot of people are interested in VR and are even willing to pay for it. They just don't want to go through the rigmarole of having to spend $600 on a headset and then buy a certain PC and then go through all the stuff of setting it all up. You know, whereas if I can literally go to the store and walk out with a box with everything I need in it and then connect it to my TV, like that's it that's for me. Like, Oh God, that's it. <laughs> cool. I, I just have to say one last thing yeah, before we move do. on. I, I am, I'm so amazed guys. Like I remember when I was a teenager and I remember seeing these really conservative attitudes towards sex. I remember growing up and being like, my generation is never going to be that weird about porn. And here we are. <laughs> we did the same stupid thing. And I don't understand it. Like, I, I wish it wasn't so like Oculus and Sony were scared to do this. Like, it should be a marketplace there. Like, it's ridiculous. You have to go to shady sites you know i mean i agree but i also feel like when something is so new i do get it like i think that maybe if this were like five years in like yeah. embrace it yeah. but i do feel like oh i'm part of it it's is a our smart culture. call yeah but i think like as a culture the last thing you want is for literally the whole reason of your brand to exist is for <laughs> is, is for porn and and, and like and, and you're yeah. right it, it is yeah. ridiculous that we, that we have these like these these attitudes towards sex that we do but at the same time i kind of get it i'm like uh, I, I i understand where they're coming from but you're right it is it's like when we were like when we were younger we always thought we'd be more progressive but then, yeah, we're gonna be more awesome we're not <laughs> We're not Americans. We're, we've always as, a, as, as like that's part of American identity is that we are very repressed about our sexuality. Yeah. That's one thing we've it's learned from this entire presidential election year. Yeah. Not to get political yeah. about it. So now we're doing something cool. Um, Brett Gaylor, who is a encryption advocate for Mozilla, is here, and he's going to talk to us about Mozilla encryption and what he does. All right. So you do a lot of advocacy work for encryption, basically, with Mozilla. And you also made a documentary called Do Not Track. Do you want to talk a little bit about, I guess, your your passion for uh, encryption and why it needs to be a grassroots movement? Because I, I feel like that's your your niche here in this this confusing world of Internet safety. Yes, like. Before 2016, would anybody have said outside of like 100 people, my passion is for encryption? Um, but yes, <laughs> yes. I, I think the, you know, the, the thing that has, um, you know, is common across both the career as a filmmaker and with Mozilla is I'm really interested in helping just everyday people understand why these issues that we care about are, are really important to their lives. So um, Do Not Track was about, you know, data privacy and um, and surveillance and these issues of, um, you know, the web economy being increasingly built on monetizing our personal information. And with the encryption campaign at Mozilla, what we're really trying to do is, um, is just get people thinking about how encryption is a really important part of what makes the web uh, mm -hmm. uh, great, secure, and they're already using in their everyday lives. So trying to sort of demystify 
um, some of the current debates around encryption and make them real, I guess, in people's lives. Yeah, so this encryption campaign is something uh, you're making short videos, basically, for people, the layperson to understand what encryption is. How did that project get started? Well, it's really interesting. So at, at Mozilla, we have a policy and advocacy team. And um, some of the folks on our advocacy team, uh, Andrew Wood, Sarah Hadusti, um, Chris Riley, Yochai Ben-Avid, these people got together before the year and said, you know, we have this hunch that, you know, this is going to be a really important issue this year. So we've been thinking about it for a couple of months. And it just happened that when we released our first video, that was when um, the Apple's uh, case with the FBI God, came what out. Great wow. timing. What amazing oh. timing. I mean, yeah. so are I'm, you a planet better, right? Or what, what crystal ball were you looking at? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what you three think, but I, I think that, you know, it was in some ways a safe bet that this would be an important issue this year. If you talk to um, lots of the folks in this field, that there was this feeling that there's all kinds of, you know, questionable policies that were sort of brewing, you know, in many different parts of the world. So from India to, you know, Kazakhstan, the United Kingdom, and of course, in the United States, it's like there's there's been an air of it. But the um, the case with Apple, I mean, obviously, we don't want to call it lucky because, you know, the circumstances sure. around that are, are really... Um, you know, serious, but yes. in terms of, of people really understanding that, oh my gosh, um, here's like an exact example of where if we allow this particular law enforcement agency access to our phone, um, that could really have a lot of ripple effects that could affect civil liberties and also just like the internet working, which is important. Mm. Um, so yeah, it just kind of there was there was a bit of a crystal ball and and, and and that, but I think that you know we're pretty hardcore nerds at Mozilla. So we're thinking about the internet a lot. And, um, and also, you know, in collaboration with a lot of really amazing groups like the, the ACLU, Amnesty International, um, Access, like a lot of these groups have been really, um, you know, trying to get people to understand encryption for, for a long time. So we, 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 we of course, talk to them and, and collaborate with them a lot. So um, I don't know, uh, chance favors the prepared, I guess. Mm -hmm. Did you see the John Oliver uh, t uh, the, the last week tonight uh, rant? Did you see his uh, his take on encryption and kind of the the broader Apple FBI case? Did, have Have you had a chance to see that? Yeah, it was rad. It was. I have had a chance to see it. Yeah, I wanted to get your take. I mean, obviously, you know, not talking about the specifics of the Apple case, but just kind of the way that he laid out kind of what encryption was. I thought he did a really good job as like a layperson and as a non technical person explaining that to um, a general news audience. What did you think? I mean, he does rely on the parts of our anatomy a little bit more than uh, everybody else, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I thought he did a great job. And I think that that's really it, you know, like the, I really liked how he was hammering this point home that like, I loved the, the, the person that was at their computer and, and he's like, we're, we're programmers, we're not wizards. And, you know, I did actually an interview with a woman, um, uh, Rhiannon Pfeffercorn, who's, she's a cryptology fellow at Stanford. And she sort of said the same thing that like, um, you know, the law enforcement community is always asking tech to just like, can you just like math harder? And it's like, no, oh. you don't understand. You, you know, this is not this is not a thing that we can <laughs> do. Um, so I loved the I really liked the the one, too, where um, he was like, you know, getting, you know, a man on the moon. But this is like, can you walk on the sun? And then he did right. like 
the Smash Mouth. Uh, you know, he's just awesome. So I just <laughs> generally love that, yes. Yeah, it's like, okay, just hit the peak of human technical prowess, and then we'll never go any further from there, and then we'll be perfectly safe after that. It's fine. It's fine. So, you know, I feel like sometimes we stay in our own little, um, you know, people that are in tech generally all get this automatically, right? So I feel like sometimes when we're in our bubble, we assume that most people get this. I've been really surprised this week at South by Southwest to, you know, be talking to other journalists and, and, you know, people that, you know, heard Obama's speech here at South by Southwest, which I found very troubling. And I have to say, I've been really surprised by how many, you know, smart people I respect that kind of followed up and, and agreed with Obama's position, which I think with all respect to such a smart guy, I think it comes from a position of not understanding encryption very well. So my question is like, do you think we are, do you think we are succeeding in getting this message out to the public? Do you think we have work to do? Like, where do you think we are? Yeah, it's an awesome question. And, um, you know, it's from, from what I've been able to read, and I don't know if that's changed in the last week, because, you know, just to be honest, I've had like my heads down, but like the last time I looked in the sort of Pew and the public research stuff, it was really at that 50-50 mark of like, yes, a lot of people, um, generally people were siding with Apple on this. Um, but yeah, the, the, the trouble is, and you know, it's like Obama's awesome at this was, was just like, but you know, Hey guys, at the end of the day, you know, like we can't have everybody walking around with a Swiss bank in their pocket. Kind of. So I think that, that there is, there are those headwinds and yes, we absolutely have work to do in both to just, um, you know, explain the tech industry's position that like, you can want that all, like you can wish for that all you want. And, you know, you know, we've, we litigated this in the nineties. We came up, you know, it's civil society, the tech industry, the lawmakers realized at that time that no, you cannot provide um, access that is not going to jeopardize all these other things. And so I, we're definitely going to have to, um, to keep on this and it's, and it's going to be a long game. Um, and that's, you know, why Mozilla we're really, we do think that this also needs sort of a grassroots approach. There, there are amazing policymakers. There are, um, you know, that it was very, very brave of Apple to, to, you know, take that public stance and, we also think that we need to do the work of ex- explaining this in in terms that um, are going to make a concentric circle beyond that bubble. You know, so I think it, it, we do need to start with us, with the with the nerds and and you know, <laughs> the, our geeks. I don't know how you three are feeling about yeah. that, but uh, but yeah. you know, you can call me a nerd. We'll still be friends if you call me a nerd. That's fine. That's I quote fine. you on that. Um, yeah. But then. Yeah, I think that you need to take that to the next uh, concentric circle of like, you know, I saw that on Twitter this week that like people in the Black Lives Matter movement were saying like, hey, this is an issue that affects us too. And then you you need the, you know, other civil libertarians. You know, we have a program where we place technologists in human rights organizations, you know, you know, Amnesty International, they want to run a campaign around this to say like, hey, you, you know, we, we need this to be able to um, uphold a lot of the freedoms that we make take for granted. Um, uh, in some parts of the world, but like this is, this is for some people, this is a matter of life and death to be able to protect those sources or to enable mm. things like whistleblowing or, you know, to, to be able to responsibly work with, um, as a human rights worker. So, um, yeah, it's important that, that, and, and I don't know, to, to answer your question, I think that for as many people, 
who have you know said that you know maybe law enforcement has a has a point here and we we do need to catch you know bad people i have you know also heard a lot of anecdotal and you know quantitative um numbers from what we've been able to build at Mozilla that this is resonating with people and people do get the implications here. What do you find is the biggest sticking point when you're trying to explain this to someone who might not have the technological background that you do? Like, What are people really getting hung up on? It's still, I have nothing to hide, which I know is cliche, but that's really does. And, and, you know, encryption actually can make that even more so. It's like, Uh I'm not selling a pound of hash. There is there there are a lot of these. I have nothing. I'm not a bad person. I'm not trying to break the law. You know why would I need this? You know <laughs> would, 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 would I would I need this system? Um, so I think that that still become that that still can be a uh, definitely a headwind to explain this to people. That's like in the first video we we didn't even use the word encryption. We just said like hey there may be things in your life that you wouldn't want just out in the open, right? Like Mm -hmm. your banking details or the records of who you speak with or like the passwords to your favorite websites. You just wouldn't want those out in public, right? Right. You know, uh, let's go on to the next chapter where we'll introduce encryption. And, you know, she's a friendly force and you use her every day in your life, you know, like trying to harken (laughs) back to the... Um, you know, like that's really the, the reference for that that we kept using was Mr. DNA and the Jurassic Park videos. Wow. Or like, <laughs> like, you, know, you know, like the, um, sorry, Schoolhouse Rocks that people might yes. remember, you know, like that kind of thing. And then we sort of, okay, let's take it up a notch. Like you, you might agree that we need a free press to enable freedom of, you know, to guarantee freedom of speech. And so we spoke with somebody from the Freedom of the Press organization who develops tools so that whistleblowers can, can talk and, you know, now we're going, the video that we'll release next week is more um, about, hey, you know, th- there are lots like, all around the world that this is happening to. And so it's time for you to take some some action to, to protect that. Do you think, I mean, what I would like to see, and you know, maybe this is me editorializing, but, you know, I think when it comes to the stance on encryption and privacy, um, you know, I have to say I've been a little bit disappointed with Mozilla's ability to kind of, um, you know, make a browser that's really, really relevant in like the the mobile iPhone era. You know, um, I would admit that, you know, with iCloud baked in on iOS and, you know, some of the advantages with Chrome on my you know, Android phone, um, I, I look at it and the, you know, the advantages that I feel from using, you know, the tools that are baked into the operating system negate the, the privacy advantages that I would love to have if someone came along and, you know, did a, a, a browser that didn't, you know, kind of track all my information the way that Google does. Do you think that like Mozilla has a, a bigger role to play like going forward from here? Or, or how do you feel about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- there's two things I would say to that. Um, mm-hmm. The first is, you know, um, we we have begun to release features that that address that. And, um, you know, it used to be that when you went into private browsing mode, um, all it did was not remember your session history, right? And so we uh-huh. we made a conscious change that now we have disabled um, third party tracking protection within the browser. But you know, obviously, there's there's lots more to do. Um, we have a um, a group within Mozilla called the Polaris Initiative that works with 
um, the folks who make the Tor project, the Tor browser, and of course, Tor, the Tor browser is based on um, Firefox, and so they they coordinate so that there are features that we can build because it's also a platform too. You know, uh, there's a um, there are features in Firefox that other developers borrow from, so we make sure that that uh, that work can happen, that that community is enabled. The second thing that I would say is, and I know this is. I know that sometimes in the open source community, there is a sort of like, hey, you know, all patches welcomed or file a bug. But I do think it is important, and we're really trying to do this as an organization, is to say, like, you know, we need you. We need you to be, uh, uh, you know, speaking, you know, letting us know that, letting us know that you'd like that, but also more importantly, um, joining in, in the effort. And so we've taken a real um, focus that advocacy and and fighting for the open web are going to be a really important strategic focus going forward. And that's about more than just releasing a browser. And we know that, that, that takes, it's a long game. It takes people on the ground. It takes policy. And of course it does take developers. And so, um, we're committed to it and the, the, it can be tricky with a browser that's used by so many people. Cause when we introduce new features, of course, you know, some people aren't ready for those changes. And, but I think that we, we really do need to hold ourselves to that to, to those standards and, you know, I can definitely tell you that everybody that works uh, at Mozilla is thinking about this and, and, and wants to improve it. I hope I don't sound like too much of a, a, a homer there, but it, it is true. And it's something that we, you know, we think about a lot and we'd, we always want to hear how we could do that. I guess my question would be like from from your standpoint, from an advocacy standpoint, I mean, obviously, I think it's really important that people understand that that their rights, you know, are, are at stake. And as you said, you know, the, the biggest, um, uh, you know, pushback you get is uh, I don't have anything to hide. How important have you found it, it, it even from from an advocacy standpoint, not even focusing so much on, you know, the the. The potential issues of, of, you know, somebody infringing on your personal information from like a, you know, a, well, I have nothing to hide, but from a, you know, data stealing perspective or from a safety perspective, what what role does that and, and does just general security practices play into how you advocate for for encryption and for stronger encryption? Yeah, no, I think that um, there was actually a, um, a live discussion that our um, our chief legal and business officer Danell Dixon there she did yesterday, where and that was one of her. You know, key points was that a lot of this is about you know basic security, and that we should be you know, it's in some ways what we don't want is for the tech industry to be encouraged to make their products any weaker. Like we need to we need to advocate for for stronger security. So that's been a real piece in the way that um, we have talked about this, and indeed have actually filed um, amicus briefs uh, in support of Apple that you know really touch on that. That like, hey, you know. This is protecting all of us, and so we need to we need to keep encryption strong. Well, does anybody does anybody else have any other questions for, for Brett before we let him go and and, and get on with the with his life and his his uh his advocating and filmmaking? I, I want to see this life? documentary. I'm excited about it. Me too. I'm, really I'm super stoked. Yeah. Do not track is an interactive documentary, right? So, can you explain to the listeners a little bit about how they can experience it? So, yeah, do not track. It's a seven part series, and so. Basically, as you're watching it, um, your personal data is 
is actually used to build the narrative. And so there's there's many episodes by many different directors. Depending on where you are in the world, you'll see a different person. Uh, if in the English-speaking world, you see me. If you live in Quebec, you'll see Sandra Rodriguez. If you're on your mobile phone in, in, in San Francisco, uh, you'll 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 see some other people. The idea is that we want to make a film that's personalized because that's kind of what this issue is about. Is um is like that filter bubble that you, that you mentioned, Brianna, but also the uh, um you know that it's we, we, we basically show how your data is collected and, and we go in many different ways to do that. But we also interview like lots of the you know the usual suspects in this space. So Cory Doctorow is is in it. Dana Boyd, Kate Crawford, Harlow Holmes. Lots of Lots of fodder for the the geeks out there to to hear some smart people talking about privacy. Um, so that was uh, we did basically that last week, and every two weeks we would release a new episode. But it's all there; it's all free that you can watch. Uh, it's a co-production with the National Film Board of Canada. It's at do not track dash doc dot com, but you just Google do not track documentary, you'll find it. Um, but I also wanted just to let folks know that if you are a um, civic-minded hacker that wants to help protect the open web. We have uh, our deadline for applying to be an open web fellow with Mozilla and the Ford Foundation. Um, so next year, we're going to place eight uh, technologists in different human rights and civil society organizations. Um, so we are working with uh, Color of Change, Data in Society, Citizen Lab, um, Derechos Digitalis, which is a group in uh, Santiago, Chile, uh, the Center for Intellectual Property and Information Technology Law in Nairobi, Kenya, Freedom of the Press Foundation, and Privacy International. And so we're looking for developers, people who want to apply their sort of technology senses to help um, with all these issues that we've been talking about tonight. That is super cool. Thank you. Thanks for the terrifying documentary as well. <laughs> Never sleep again, ever. <laughs> Doing good work there. It is such a horror movie title, too. Do not track. Which is, you know, reminds you of It Follows. Anyway. But but that's how you get people's attention, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's how you get people to, that's how you get people to care. Um, exactly. Grab their, grab it can them. be tough with this stuff. So we we just try to make it personalized, make it, make it about, about you. Because it is, a, mm -hmm. this stuff is really uh, about us. Well, yeah. And you, uh, I, and when we were talking about setting up this call, net neutrality came up and how that became a really big movement on tumblr i remember when there were um bills being passed and things like that or being debated and that very like petitions were being passed around and stuff and everyone cared about this thing that you would not expect say a bunch of teenagers to care about and i really hope slash think that encryption has to become the same kind of thing or else it's going to spiral out of control which maybe it already has in terms of you know the fbi taking it yeah and i mean i think but in you know i know this isn't necessarily a gauge but you know we've seen on you know our social media accounts you know a huge engagement on this issue you know and when then you know um like even more so than when the the net neutrality debates you know w w there was a victory there you know the year before last which was which was huge um and that's the the response to this has been even stronger to that so people really do care that's really cool. um that's, that's great to know. Well, thank you for all that you do. And thank you for coming on to talk to us about this and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks to the three of you. Thank you. So what are you up to this week, Brianna Wu? I'm surviving South by Southwest and then I'm going home to an all new house. I get to go home and it's going to be an all new house that I'm living in. So I'm very much excited about that. 
That is Yay, so awesome. Yay. This is really super awesome. So I was having uh, lunch with a, a journalist today. And um, so she lives in an apartment in New York and she won a nest cam in um some route in in a you know like a a thing and she's like i can't use this i live in new york what am i gonna do like put it on the outside of my building so i got like a free 200 hundred dollar nest cam that i'm gonna be able to put in my new house so we can like monitor the dogs in the backyard or see like who's coming to give me packages and stuff so i'm super excited yeah, I have a Nest Cam, and they're awesome. I mean, mine is – it's kind of the same thing. Like You literally just, like, see the outside of our window. But, no, they're awesome, and it's great because they're, they're, um, their apps are really solid. Um, you can, like, pay for their cloud service where you can get, like, storage or you can just, like, tune into stream. But um, I, I had one when they were called Dropcam, and, and then they became – Nest acquired them, and, and they're really great devices. So congrats on that because it's, it's, a, it's a really cool product. Cool. Awesome. Christina, what are you up to this week? Um, so, uh, still sort of in Apple FBI stuff. Yeah, you had a uh, new article pursuing... about that come out this week, right? About the yes, Apple because statement? Apple, yes, because Apple Apple filed their reply to the government's reply. So, um, there's it, been a lot of back and forth. The first hearing, the big, the big hearing on this, is actually taking place on Tuesday. So, um, the day after Apple's product announcements. So that's interesting. So I won't be there for that, but we will have a reporter. Um, in Riverside, California, covering that, and, and I'll, I'll be helping like remotely, like as much as I can. So I'm still kind of down on that, and I'm actually writing a big article, um, kind of uh, about some of those issues that I've been working on, um, as well as just getting ready for the Apple event because that'll be on Monday, and uh, I will not be at the event. I will be in New York, um, but I will be um, spearheading our, our New York coverage for Mashable. Obviously, be tuned into the live streams and all that stuff. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's I'm kind of like you know it's like it, it's getting towards the end of the week but there's like a lot of stuff coming up next week next week's gonna be super busy so i'm kind of like gearing myself up trying to finish a big article and then prepare for uh for the madness of next week the double hitter with you know new apple product news and then also the the um the san bernardino hearing yeah oh god it's gonna be action-packed oh i have to say like we had a really long show today christina i wish we had been able to get into some of your mashable reporting this week on this case because it had oh it's been a it's been a big week for that story you were spitting hot fire totally well we will we will have more next week i think it'll even be better to talk about next week after we've had the hearing so Mm -hmm. um not not a problem yeah definitely it will continue to unfold uh it is gdc this week and i am not at gdc but i have been um pulling videos through for people who are at gdc so i i i literally i have just been in video hell and i feel like i've been staring at premiere for the last i don't know how many hours of my life so it's awesome though i love it i love having so much to do it's really exciting um but yes i I dredged myself i I crawled out of the swamp to record the show and after we're done i'm going to go back into the swamp and continue working so that's pretty i'm I'm so happy and i i think i'm probably going to move to new york this weekend as forecast by me last week yeah i'm super excited still don't have plane tickets because i um am procrastinating on that it's because my stuff isn't packed and i'm looking around like well, I can't buy plane tickets until I finish packing. And then I'm like, no, you fool. This is the opposite. You you be- buy plane tickets right, and then you finish packing because of your deadline. I don't care at this point. It's whatever. Um, <laughs> I'll pay whatever. I don't care. I just want to get out there. Um, yes, I am a horrible procrastinator. This is my truth. Um, so yeah, packing up my stuff. Um, and I'm really excited. I'll be there either Saturday or Sunday. So next week I'll be recording the show 
I mean, unless something goes terribly wrong from my new apartment in New York. Okay. Uh, uh, Brianna, where can we find you online? Awesome. <laughs> oh, space cat gal. Sci-fi channel. Uh, Christina, yeah, what about you? Uh, you can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters, the Snapchats, the Instagrams. You are so <laughs> prolific. Uh, you can find me on the Twitters at Doom Quasar. And thanks for listening to the show. If you liked it, please review us on iTunes. We super duper appreciate it. And we'll be back with you next week. Terminated. 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 Terminated.